Welcome back to the Culture Commute. We are sitting down with Beck. Hello. Hi, Beck. And Nick. Hello. So, Beck. Yeah. You've dragged us in front of the mics today. What's going on? Uh, well, as you know, we've been running a series of events at Interchange, um, the first of which happened a couple of weeks ago, a creative approach to addressing psychosocial hazards. And I just thought it would be good to let everyone in on it and sort of get into where the idea came from for these events. Oh, exciting. Very exciting. Um, and thank you for having us, Beck. We're, um... You're very welcome on your podcast. <laughs> I will welcome myself, <laughs> as, I, as, I, as I always should. Um, I guess why, so the question is, uh, you know, why psychosocial hazards and, and why not now? You know, Gabe, you'll agree with this, that a lot of our clients, and not just clients, but people in our network and um, people in you know, family and friends are asking, you know, what is psychosocial and why is it important? And I guess we just wanted to take something that is a bit, scary to some people um, and make it more accessible and help people realise that, you know, it can be achieved and that, yes, it is legislative. You don't have to be a lawyer to understand it. In fact, that's what we do here. Um, We take complex um, and sometimes uh, intimidating topics and um, documents and make them more accessible. Um, So I guess understanding the legislation, why it's important, like making sure organisations understand what their requirements are is really important. Um, and the, I guess the the whole point of the event was aimed at leaders um, and people that had work in that space to realise that they can take steps um, that aren't necessarily stressful um, and that can present you know, the psychosocial legislation to their workforce in a way that's meaningful um, and accessible. Yeah. I think the other thing to add to that is when we have been out in the market, speaking with a number of our, our clients who we're doing different types of projects with. Something that kept coming up about this legislation was, uh, like, we have to do something about that psychosocial thing and a real disconnection from it. I think through perhaps an understanding, a lack of understanding around what it is, but also because it felt like um, having to do more in some cases mm. for the workforce. And sometimes that, that sense of always having to give just feels overwhelming. And I, I liken it to, I'm going to get the year wrong, but you can absolutely we'll, re-record this at some point. <laughs> we'll fact check. <laughs> but... Uh, when the Sexual Discrimination Act originally came in, I'm going to say it would have been like mid-90s. Mm. 92 maybe? Yeah. 1984. So back in 1984, uh, the it was, a, it was called the Sexual Discrimination Act, wasn't it? And when that act came in, there was resistance around it and then legislation came after the act came in and organisations were kind of allergic to wanting to face into it because the mountain seemed so high to climb and also really is it that important given all of the other things that we're trying to achieve. In reality, it was incredibly important (laughs) and we were never going to uh, make the strides and changes that we did in creating gender or moving towards gender equality that we have based on acts like that. So seeing the psychosocial now come in as a legislative requirement, I actually think is a a parallel compared to the 
uh, the Act around sexual discrimination and the legislation that came thereafter. So it's a really, I think, exciting time because these things are necessary in businesses. They should already be present. We've had to legislate them because they're not. So coming up with ways of helping organisation to think that this is a real benefit rather than another task is what we aimed to achieve. Yep, completely agree. And if you're related to physical safety, yeah. how many now, you know, how many people have to, first aid officers or fire wardens, same sort of approach was, oh, how's this physical safety, how's this ever going to be rolled out through organisations? We've adapted pretty quickly. Um, and now I just think it's about people brushing up or at least acknowledging a little bit of psychology and well-being. So how do we become experts? How does everybody be responsible for that? And I actually quite like this legislation. It's probably no, not, not many people have said that. Very nerdy thing to like. <laughs> Only ever said by an organisational psychologist. But I quite like it because, yes, it now puts organisations at the, at the front here. Now they're on the hook. Um, but the legislation just needs you to be specific. And I think that's been tricky in the past because everybody has their own interpretations. Interpretation, yeah. and also everyone's an individual person as well. So I can understand the hesitation and the reluctance, but really let's get specific about it, let's measure it, let's put things in place and only people and teams and organisations benefit from it and that's really what we want to get across. Yeah, that's a really interesting point, Nick, and what we were trying to do was to create something that was a little bit unique and interesting as a way of helping people to be able to dissect what is psychosocial. Beg, tell us a bit more about the event. It was a great event. We all had a really good time. Very much looking forward to running it again in Sydney in a few weeks. Um, And we had, after our immersive experience, a panel with Alice Rugg from RACV, Nikki Davies from HealthScope, and our own Nick as our interchange organisational psychologist. Obviously, we don't want to give away the punchline by taking our listeners too far behind the curtain. Let's maybe take a step back and break down the subject a bit because I know there's a lot of people probably listening, like me, who this isn't their subject matter area. This isn't what they're experts in. Nick? Yeah, I guess this is where I... I come into it is that... Um, this is where I get confused. <laughs> as Gabe said, a lot of people, you know, even I, you know, when you first say psychosocial, it took a while to get that out of my mouth when you're so used to saying psychological safety. But that new legislation that's come in, so there's probably a lot of people who don't know the distinction between psychological hazards and other hazards. Let's just start with the definition and go from there. So a psychosocial hazard is, um, encompasses any aspect of work that could cause psychological harm i.e. harm to someone's mental health. I guess why this is different is because it is things that um, impact culture and well-being, but also things that that work tasks and and in physical environments. So it's actually a combination of, we call them here, tangible, so things you can touch and feel, so your physical environment, structure, um, processes, but also intangibles, so culture, values, leadership, it's actually a combination of both. And so if it includes the physical aspects of your workplace and the physical space you're in, how is it differ- different from workplace hazards as we currently understand them? Yeah, there's, so there's a list of things, um, and it varies state to state. That's probably one thing. There is, you know, there's probably a roughly between 14 to 20, depending on which state you're in, because each there is actually, it's linked to the OH&S uh, Act from 2004, which is a national act, but each state is now producing and designing their own legislation. So things can be leadership behaviour or poor leadership, 
um, excessive workloads, burnout, physical environment, fatigue, saying I'm too much here, but there's there's a few. <laughs> what I'm hearing you say is it's not just encompassing the physical environment, but it does incorporate that. Yeah. It's not just encompassing leadership and it's not just encompassing um, peer-to-peer engagement. It's actually all of those things articulated in slightly different ways across all of the different states. That's right. And, like, if, yeah, if you make a list of them, they all, they all sound, oh, yeah, that, that, that exists or that's, that's, you know, that's a lot. But these things naturally exist in any workplace or in, is in life in general, you know, burnout or you know, excessive work chores at home or you know, poor leadership or not enough support. That, that exists not just at work. And so these are always going to exist which is why they're hazards, but it's now about measuring what the risk of that is and if it's an unreasonable risk or not, and then it's up to the organisation to understand that, to identify that, assess that, put in some controls and then continually to review it. And then really if it's excessive or it can lead to um, psychological harm and impact on mental health, then it needs to be addressed. So not all psychosocial hazards are to do with psychological safety, but psychological safety is a part of ensuring that your workplace isn't one that's heavy in psychosocial hazards. I think if you increase psychological safety, that definitely reduces some, if not all, of the risks around psychosocial hazards. Question for you. My question is when you think about the the panda model of your tangibles and your intangibles Mm. and both of those things having an overlap to make up the fabric of what a culture is, mm. and then you look at the psychosocial mm. legislation, which yeah. essentially says, here's all the tangible things, here's the environment, the mm. kind of the workplace, the setting, the structure. Um, I'm not sure that the psychosocial legislation goes into things around how you're measured per se, and then it goes into all of the intangibles or the social system of the organisation. Mm. What's your view on what differentiates the psychosocial legislation and culture? It's a great question. The psychosocial legislation, even though I do love it because I love how specific it is um, and love how tangible it is and you can measure it, I don't love the fact that it is in isolation and it breaks these things up because they are all connected. Yeah. And that's probably what you're referring to is that that's where psychological safety comes in because it's more about how the feeling between teams and leaders and it's the environment, not just a specific burnout or excessive excessive workloads or just this or just that because I think what we know from our work in this space around traditional safety or physical safety that if you just address the symptom it doesn't actually address the root cause and so and then you know just lately safety culture and maybe coined in the last decade or two you know it's actually addressing the culture not just the the symptom yeah um, and that's when you see the best results or you know, the reducing of safety incidents and harm to people. So I'm thinking this is going to be the same thing to that. So Do you reckon this is like a starting point? It's going to evolve. Yes, I think it's going to. Yes, it's going to evolve from here. I think it needs to be really specific at the moment, so people are all on the same page, and so and they can understand it and unpack it. Yes, and exactly yeah. right. So there's a benchmark to now go from, and I think we've learnt a lot from the progression of safety incidents and outcomes on culture. So this is a great starting point. But I think you can't treat any person as an island or you can't treat these as disassociated 
components components either yeah but let's just get all on the same page let's pull our ideas together let's get really specific and start measuring these things so i think that's the the biggest trap we're going to fall in is that we'll just put them down on paper and then not revisit them and we don't check our progress so we don't even know what's working and what's not working mm. so let's get really specific which as a psychologist i'd love to see that i'd love to see the evidence and data and then let's take it up a level to your point to what that means for culture. Let's look at these root causes that then we can address as an organisation. So then everybody in that in that workplace is well looked after, and they're turning they're turning up um, in a good space, and they're leaving they're leaving just as well as they mm. as they arrived. I quite like what it has the potential to do for helping people to unpack and understand culture. Hmm. In lots of ways, many of the elements are there and people are often looking for the handbook or the how-to guide from a culture standpoint and many of the things that are outlined in the psychosocial legislation actually show up when you start to unpack and talk about all these are things you're going to need to face into when you start to consider your culture transition that allows you to deliver on your strategic objectives. I think some of the challenge that goes with the psychosocial is and certainly the criticisms I've heard about it from senior leaders is it's a deficit model. It's out there looking for problems. It's not out there trying to break it down and go, this is how to solve it. But to your point, Nick, it's almost like that's the necessary starting point. If you don't know where you're starting from, then how will you ever get to where you want to be? No, I really love that. And I think, say there's 20 psychosocial hazards and you just focus on three of them. I can guarantee if you put controls in or interventions or you address it, more than just three will be positively impacted. Mm. So I think just pick, you know, that, that's the whole point of this, um, the format which the legislation says there's four steps. Um, identify, you know, what hazards ex- and risks exist. Assess how there's the severity of them, the frequency and the duration. Control, so organisation actually puts some controls and interventions in place and then review that. What worked, what didn't work, how are we tracking? So do that first maybe focus on your top three or five and undoubtedly you'll see improvement but I would, I would argue right now without seeing the data on this because it's probably a bit new but I would predict that more than just those three or five that you concentrate on will come to fruition I in a more so. positive way yeah so if Thank these you. if these things are as you said some of them are quite intangible in terms of it's how things happen in a workplace how do you get those measures how do you get that data I think you've got to ask your people. Um, you've, you can, that can be through interviews, conversations, surveys, scores. We've created, you know, in line with this to make sure that's really easy, our own interchange psychosocial assessment tool, which, I've, um, which I'm really proud of and I think it does a really great job that we've used with a couple of clients already to get to the nitty-gritty of it, um, which helps you benchmark. Um, I think you can eventually link it to um, overall organisational metrics as well. You can look at incident claims, you can look at EAP access. I think that whole um, measurement piece is, is an area where people are getting stuck. Boards are asking to see more rigorous understanding of how did the organisation truly identify and assess, which are the two big areas up front that a business needs to go through. And, and doing that well is an absolute imperative for them being able to put the right controls in place. So making sure you've got some sort of rigorous measurement tool, be it the IPAT 
interchange tool that we developed or another one, it just needs to be rigorous enough that the board are clear that those risks have been truly understood and that the controls that are being put in place are going to affect the type of change that you were talking about earlier. Yep, and it's always a combination of the quantitative and the qualitative. So I don't think it's good enough just to use a survey. I think it helps you identify, but to truly assess, you know, to what we do with culture, you need to dig a bit deeper. What are those underlying issues and what is the colour in there? Because that's really how you're going to move the dial on a lot of these hazards and risks. That's a massive topic, which is obviously why we've created these events to help people get maybe not to the bottom of it, maybe get a third of the way down it and then hopefully, um, you know, feel confident looking into it a bit further and feeling a bit more comfortable uh, about the legislation in terms of their workplace. On a lighter note, because this is heavy, (laughs) heavy, heavy stuff, Um, Gabe. Yes. You have been running this wonderful business for 10 years now. Yes. How? What a joy. (laughs) (laughs) We're sorry. Every day's a dream. (laughs) What are some changes or some things you've implemented over time that you think contribute to, I think, a pretty psychologically safe environment? What what are the things you particularly focus on bringing to your team and what are the things you're happy to leave behind? Good question. So some of those, and if if I try and bucket them into almost tangible and intangible, some of the opportunities that that came our way was just simply due due to the growth. So you kind of need to get to a stage where you've got enough financial backing to be able to make some calls, decisions that are going to increase the psychosocial needs of the team. One of those being the office environments that we choose to chose to move from. So we we went from originally being in a um, old police cell. That's where we started. <laughs> yeah. So when. Um, when I started the business, we obviously had no money, so there was this little incubator startup up in Northgate, and it was at the old police station on the top of Rockers Hill there. And uh, all we could afford was one of the police cells, and so that's where the two of us worked <laughs> until there was three of us, and we stayed there for um, a couple of years actually in that lovely environment, which was not psychosocial safety. <laughs> if you needed to. Um, change environments, you were actually able to go downstairs into the cells where you could sit on your own to do productive work. (laughs) (laughs) That was the quiet space. We then moved from there into an office that we shared with another organisation, but again, we had this like tiny room in their big kind of mansion office, so we felt a bit like you know the pokey kids in the corner until we went to our warehouse, which was kind of cool and amazing and very Fitzroy and freezing cold and it had mice and therefore very unsafe for my mental health. (laughs) (laughs) Not not keen on mice, Gabe. (laughs) I am not. And now we're in this incredible office on the ninth floor in Collingwood where it is um, typically the right temperature. (laughs) We have, you know, like facilities count, they matter. The environment that people get to come to work in plays a big role on how we feel about being in that team and how we are able to produce. So from a tangible standpoint, I think the the evolution of the business and the growth of the business has allowed for those more kind of grown-up facilities that have also, I think, enabled um, improved team 
performance and connection. From an intangible standpoint, um, it's it's all about the continuation of, of communication and engagement. And again, some of those things money allows you to do. So something that I'm really proud of is being able to take the team away for uh, a few days and we all get that real chance for connection and joy. But on a less grand scale, it's about creating the space where everybody is able to speak with one another, that uh, we don't create silos. We try and keep the structure reasonably flat so that everybody feels empowered to be able to make decisions within the realms of what's commercially smart. So look, a number of things, and we still need to keep learning and growing, and and we need to recognise that we've got to constantly be checking, and I need to be constantly checking, what more can I be doing that ensures that we're moving always towards being more so on that note, there's no there's no cap to how safe an environment can be. It can I don't always think be better. There is. I think that there's always the opportunity to constantly be sense checking where you're at. And there's some really interesting um, research and, and learnings around for organizations to constantly shift and change. You have to have a level of anxiety that exists. Without anxiety, change doesn't happen it kind of flies in the face of the some of the psychosocial mm. legislation. That's complex. And so trying to navigate how do you bring a sense of anxiety in a psychosocial safe climate is a very fine line and a super um, awkward, tricky continuum where you're going, all right, well, how do I have both? How do we have both? And those things I'm constantly struggling with and trying to reconcile, what more do I need to do to ensure we always maintain some level of anxiety because that anxiety will push us to be better whilst ensuring that everybody is feeling safe and um, secure and in a psychosocial safe climate. That's very well said. Yeah, and I agree. You know, I think um, performance is the aim of the game, right, with organisations. So, you know, you've got to keep driving performance, but you want to do it in a safe way. But I think it's good. I think, you know, something might be, yeah, a bit more struggling, you might, um, yeah, struggling, or you might be more intense or a bit more pressure. But I think that only when you, if you come through the other side of that, you can actually deepen bonds and connection as well. So I don't think it's about, it's sort of, um, what they call it, a, a net zero sum. It's not a minus one, then a plus one. Um, we call it riding the roller coaster. But I think that's those, Tough times is when you learn the most about yourself and each other, but that's when you get the biggest payoff and you build those bonds and connections with each other as well. So you can only you can keep going, and I think it's on a spectrum anyway. So the reason why you know the event's so good is because one, it is it brings people together, and I think it helps people real has fun, and so you're learning without realizing what you're doing. Um, which is really important in learning things like this that are psychologically based, that are really complex. If you're really aware that you're learning, you are not as open to the experience and you probably don't get that feeling and that takeaway that you would when you're experiencing in the moment. So that's what this event does, which I love. Um, and then also I just think in the debrief, it's that's with the panel or that's with um, the facilitated conversation after or with each other, is that you realise that, it happens every day anyway, that you're closer than what you think to achieving this. So 
you know, the event just brings a whole lot of things together like that, like an experience, a fun time, builds connection, a lot of interesting learnings and takeaways, as well as realizing that, you know, this is, cha- this is manageable. We can meet this challenge. So I think, you know, without spooking it too much, I would recommend for an experience, this has been really great. And I think it brings the legislation and what's expected to life. I'd recommend getting along and seeing me on the panel, really. I was going to say, so yeah. <laughs> you're not done I'm with talking awesome. about it. <laughs> Don't worry about the event. Just come to the panel. That's all you had to come to. You can skip the first 45 minutes. Just come for Nick. I'll send you a portrait of me at the end. I'll be selling my portion of the panel in a cassette at the left of the stage. All right. Dimming your microphones. (laughs) On that note, the next event is on the 26th of October in Sydney uh, and there will be a discount code in the show notes. For tickets to that if you're interested for our podcast listeners gabe and nick thanks for letting me steal you thanks beg for dragging us in uh and all i have to say to conclude is there's also champagne yeah which is one lots of, of champagne that is true i feel like it is time for that <laughs> it is time for that yes thank you beck and thank you gabe always a pleasure This episode of The Culture Commute was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Interchange acknowledges that this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. For more information about Interchange, see the show notes for links to our social media and our website.